Welcome to another podcast of What We're Made Of. I'm Tanya Taylor, and thanks for listening. Thanks for coming back again. So the reason why I started this podcast is to talk to good women who, by taking the road less traveled in their lives, made a great impact on the communities they live in and are true to their craft and, more importantly, to themselves. They are women who really changed the game, and my guest today is just that. She even describes her take on her recipes for grits as stone ground game changers. I called Vivian about two years ago when I wanted to get the top women chefs in North Carolina together on an event, on a stage, not to cook, but to share the story of how they made it with a local food writer, Andrea Weigel, in a Walter Magazine event called At the Table. And that event was put together to support UNC Horizons, a program that helps women in recovery and their children around the state. At the time, I knew very little about Vivian, but my first entree to her was through her husband, Ben Knight, and her partner in life, and in the restaurant, Chef and the Farmer, who, after a couple of calls, told me that he'd ask Vivian if she'd participate, and she did. And even in the midst of launching the second season of her wildly popular TV show, A Chef's Life, running a restaurant, being a wife and mother to a set of very young, very cute, very beautiful twins, and what seems like a southern farm to fork icon, she said yes, showed up, and was absolutely gracious and wonderful during an event that was absolute chaos to me. <laughs> but... Um, you were um, really great that night, and you really brought a calm to what I thought was kind of the perfect storm. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Welcome, Vivian Howard, um, of The Chef and the Farmer, and much more um, to what we're made of. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I actually feel really honored that you said yes. Lord, I, uh, I'm always shocked when people ask me, to, when anyone wants to hear what I have to say, so... Thank you for asking. <laughs> so Vivian invited me to um, 300 some street. Which, okay, well, she was really straight with it, but I'm just saying that this is a really awesome, really big space, and there's someone that's back here in a like test kind of kitchen making some, of course, like you would show up and Vivian would be like canning tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a beautiful space, and I'm kind of getting a clue into a bit of her world. But it's it's fun to be here, and thank you for for opening your door to me. And I get to see my name that I'm doing a podcast with her on her yeah. big whiteboard. So, and um, lots of jars of cool stuff. So I feel very much at home. Um, so I have a burning question for you. Okay. How hard was it to walk away from Harlem and return to Eastern North Carolina to a community that has a lot of challenges? especially just as Harlem was kind of going through this major renaissance? Um, well, you know, at the time uh, when we decided to move back here, we were kind of fatigued by city life. And we were living um, in a part of Harlem that I'm not even sure has, has experienced a renaissance yet. <laughs> we were in, uh, we lived on 151 in Broadway. Oh, you were close to Washington Heights. Yeah, we were like... You were almost was, in what? You were in sort of... Harlem Heights. <laughs> right, but it was really rough. Oh, yeah. And it continues to be... Um, it's a tough area. Yeah, it doesn't look really any different than it did 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, 
we, we, when we moved here, we kind of had like rose tinted glasses on because we wanted it to work so badly. And we, you know, had been paying exorbitant rent in that neighborhood for, you know, a, a four floor often, you know, we chose to walk up rather than take the Because uh, the, elevator the elevator smelled exactly. so bad, exactly. you couldn't like take a, it. Um, so <laughs> I know, I know. Like so we bad were bathroom. excited to be here living in, you know, my dad's, when we first moved here, we moved into my dad's, he calls it his river shack, but really it's where he went to just take a nap. And it was never meant to be lived in. It had no foundation, no insulation, um, but it was free for us. And so we were thrilled by it. Better than that rent in Harlem. Absolutely. And, you know, for the first, like, six months that we lived here, we were trying to get the restaurant, you know, up and running and in the planning phases of it. So I remember that whole period as being really uh, wonderful. It was when, you know, after after being here about six months that the, the rose tint started to kind of wear off our glasses and we were like, okay, the produce at this food line does not really look that good. And, and everybody that's at the farmer's market selling something is selling, you know, they're selling oranges and pineapples and, and things that don't actually grow here. And our community <laughs> has a lot of, a lot of issues, um, but we didn't choose to see them in the beginning. So is that how, so then you went out and you started really talking to farmers, like your dad's friends? Yes. Well, um, you know, we had put feelers out in the community saying, you know, we're, we're opening this restaurant and we want to serve things that um, people, local farmers grow and um, we want to support small family farms. And, you know, there was a lot of like, who, who do these kids think they are? Um, and there was also some of this idea that what's so special about that because we're, we're in a region where people still like garden and they do eat what they grow. Yep. Um, so, so we're going to have to grow extra for you. Right, right. There was some confusion <laughs> about our end goals. Um, but we really, we had a breakthrough when we met Warren Brothers. Yes. He's often on our oh, show. Yes, yes. He, and Lily. Uh, yes. <laughs> he um, is kind of like the perfect, you know, we were looking for people who had once been tobacco farmers to transition into niche produce. And he's wow. that's what he... That's what he's done. Yeah. So um, that gave us some hope. And he was really open-minded about it, too. Absolutely. I mean, he went from growing um, medicinal herbs to growing uh, <laughs> organic produce for us. So he was very open-minded. That's really cool. I just liked how he would just go out and be like, okay, this is what I've got. Lily, come out here. Let's figure this out. <laughs> yeah, they make a great team. They do. Um, the cooking was always good. I loved when she taught you how to make the biscuits. Uh, that's probably my all-time <laughs> favorite moment of the show and, and much of my adult life, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I really did love that. Um, so, yeah, from Harlem to Kinston, um, what a journey. And, and, and how you stepped out on faith and made that happen is remarkable, really. We were more naive than anything else. You have to be. <laughs> yeah, I think you really you have really to You really have to be, because otherwise, if you, if you had the fear, you would never have done it. Yeah, so many things that I've done in the past little bit, I, I think, you know, if I had known what this was going to feel like all the way through, would I have done this? No, you just can't think about it. No. <laughs> you just no. can't think about it too hard. You just won't do it. No. Um, that's really my theory in most things that actually work out for good. Um, so 
I recall watching the first season of the show thinking, you know, how did you make it through this major setback, you know, when the, the fire was started in the kitchen and just looking in your eyes and I'm thinking, how does she even have a camera there when something like this happens and is able to speak about the fact that this happened in that moment? How did you deal with the fact that that happened and how did you process it and move forward, you know, with any kind of energy? Um, well, it, it was hard because, you know, we had been open about six years and we were finally like starting to get some recognition, like the type of thing that I, I felt like, you know, we, we had, we were going to have this piece and Bon Appetit and I was so excited for it. And we were, we had been working on this show and I was so excited for that. And, um, Ben, my husband, um, who is a painter had the, the fire happened in January and he was getting ready to start painting again. Cause you know, it was like we had finally reached this place where you had a little bit of time and then fire happened. And it was like, not only was the restaurant destroyed, but all these other things that, you know, had been cumulative over those past six years was kind of, you know, just washed away. But, um, it's interesting because when, when the fire happened, you know, we had all, we had been here six years, but we didn't really feel as if we were a part of our community. We had a lot of, we had fans in the community and we had loyal customers, but we had never seen the community kind of rally around our, our business. Um, but the fire really made us, you know, I guess vulnerable in a way that our um, Kinston and Lenore County had never seen us. And so we felt a lot of community support we felt um, really, really wanted and, and loved and important here in the community, you know. And um, it also became really apparent very fast that while we had lost a lot of, um, you know, the structure, we still, no one got hurt. Um, Which is a blessing. It, yes. And, you know, any other day of the week, there would have been several people working in the restaurant, in the kitchen during that time. Um, so that we were incredibly grateful for that because as we're all mourning the fact that we don't have a job right now, we're also just so grateful that no one was harmed. And then for me, I got this like kind of wonderful gift that I never would have gotten in, in that my children were nine months old at the time. And because of the fire, I got to spend more time with them. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking was really what came out of it. Yeah, you know, it was like five months that I got to spend at home, and um, I, I, I learned during that time that I could never do that, do that. <laughs> and that that was a job that's harder than what I do every day. But it was also, I have so many wonderful memories from that time. Um, and really bonded with them. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, I think when we were incredibly fortunate because we had insurance that allowed us to pay all of our staff the entire time. So we only lost one staff member uh, throughout the whole fire uh, disaster. So, you know, I think if you're going to have a fire destroy your business, we really fared as well as anyone could. Yeah, I... I I said, wow, the, the rebuild seemed so positive. There were so many 
I saw your husband just kick into like overdrive. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, I was like, wow, this guy. Is this the same guy I talked to on the phone? Because you, he, <laughs> he became like possessed. You know, he wanted to reopen, you know, three as months soon after. as possible. Yeah, and that, that didn't happen. But he was he was possessed. And people always say, oh, you, you know, you got to have a break after the fire. He actually worked more in the follow up to the fire than than I've ever seen him work. You know, and it was then that's a lot. <laughs> so it was uh, it was it was really really interesting. Um, and I guess you figure out what people are made of. You do. Something like that happens. And, and it seems like probably now a lifetime ago. It does. It yeah. does. It's, I mean, to see how that whole thing turned around and to see where you are now. It seems like a long, long time, time ago. ago. I guess it was like four years ago, maybe. 2012. Yeah. And then in the midst of that, to be thinking or even contemplating opening another restaurant. Well, that's, you know, I, I still have no explanation for that uh, <laughs> craziness. We, we decided to open the boiler room while we were closed at Chef and the Farmer. And I think part of it was that we had all these nights off and we realized that there was nowhere for us to go eat. And we thought that our community needed, needed a casual, fun place that was really family friendly. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where that crazy idea came we from. we actually ate there when we were here for the event that you did for for horizons um here and i wow we had some great food we had really really good food yeah i love i love the boiler room so um i i'm glad that we talked about that and that was um i i really wanted to know how you felt during that time and hear hear it from you personally um, so how did you manage to build these trusting relationships? We, we touched on that, but so it was like sort of farm to farm to farm. And, and then I, I really want to know how you managed to get some of these recipes out of these, these women's kitchens that they let you into. I mean, it really, I mean, even going into your sister's kitchen, I know probably was a little touchy. Yes, that's probably <laughs> one of the touchiest, uh, I, I, touchiest I, I, home cooking experiences I've had on the show. Um, you know, initially, like in the first season when I made biscuits with Miss Lily yes. or canned tomatoes mm-hmm. with her mother, Miss Mary Vaughn, mm-hmm. um, I think they were willing to do it because no one, they didn't ever ask them. Was, well, and they didn't think anything was going to come of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm making this TV show. They're like, it's bless your heart. <laughs> All right. Sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So I think that that was the initial, like, you know, what, you know, what, how bad can it be? Um, But then, you know, I've had this experience several times, like in season two, when we make Apple Jacks with Miss Claire Merrill Barwick. Um, She's, they're really nervous. They, they, they don't, they think that these recipes are so simple that what are we going to talk about? And what am I going to show Vivian that she doesn't already know and they're nervous about being on camera um, and then at the end of the experience uh, Miss Barwick told me that I had made her feel valuable again <sighs> and so I think that part of it is that a lot of the people I'm talking to are older yes it's and, true and in our culture we marginalize 
older people and we don't ask for their wisdom. We don't ask for those recipes. We don't spend time with them in the kitchen. Um, you know, we, we want to put them in a box and bring them out on holidays. And we want to show up and just sit them in a corner. Exactly. So, you know, whereas maybe if they were uh, my sister's age, they might think twice about giving me that recipe, but yeah, in my experience, they're just so thrilled to have someone listening. It's true. My grandmother would start to write things down later in life. I mean, you know, she would just just start to write things down. Because they know that you're going to want that information, but you don't have the sense yet Mm -hmm. to realize Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's true. And my daughter's grandmother was very much like that. She um, She has a yeast roll recipe that she shared with my daughter and taught her how to make it at Thanksgiving one year. So that was very important to my daughter. So my daughter knows how to make yeast rolls, rolls now. So that's, oh, that's very, great. That's a big deal. That's great. <laughs> Nobody thought that she would give up that recipe. <laughs> no, for me, one of the reasons I uh, wanted to do the whole television uh, project was based on my, my mother's mother. She always had this, this recipe. Well, she always made these like little pecan sandy things. Oh like, yeah, and they were like a short egg whites. Well, no, it was just egg whites and pecans. Really? And I used to. My mom restricted what I ate, um, at, in terms of sweets. And so when I went to grandma's, I always she went straight to that glass jar wanted. and ate those. And I always thought I'm going to get that recipe from her and I'm going to make it with her. And then it was too late. Yeah, she passed away. And so I don't know. That's always nagged me. Your mother um, plays a, a big part in a lot of this. I, I, and we all have these interesting relationships with our mothers. Yes. <laughs> mothers. I, I find it so interesting how, you know, hey, mom, just come on in. Let's make this together. And I remember you guys making that blueberry uh, cobbler oh. together, which I thought was fun. Um, how is she sort of still sort of faring and sort of giving you feedback? Oh, I mean, I think she'll give me feedback. In her last breath, it will be feedback to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved how she came over and she had this beautiful dress on and she proceeds to make this entire blueberry cobbler with you. It never gets anything on the dress. Oh, no, she's not. She she says put together and prim and proper as any, any woman I've ever known. And she just has a knack for, uh, for giving me uh, positive reinforcement, no, criticism. Yes, positive. But, but in this, from a place of love. Yes, definitely. She tells definitely. me all the time, you know, Vivian, only your family will be completely honest with you. And I'm your mother, so that means I'll be the most honest. It's true. It's true. And they will be. Um, I, I, uh, I admire that and, and that in the way that you relate to it is, is really wonderful. Yeah, I think people... Um, from all walks of life, who've had a mother, can watch the show and, and see a little bit of themselves in our relationship. In our relationship. And I think that um, the transparency in that is beautiful. Um, so how do you make a lot of this seem so easy? I mean, is I didn't know that's what I was doing. No, no, it just <laughs> seems, it's so, not easy in the sense that it's not hard work, Meaning you do it with an ease and a balance that just seems as if, okay, I'm authentically who I am. This is just how it is, right? 
and I'm going to take it as it is. I'm going to go through the day as it, I'm going to be present. I'm going to show up here, get these things done. I'm going to be as good to my team as I can be, but I'm still going to be tough. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to do it and, and do it with ease and still be able to laugh and smile through it and be who I am. Um, I don't know. I think part of it maybe is, and Ben has pointed this out about me for years. He says that I don't do anything that I don't want to do. And, and some of the things that I want to do are not necessarily things that other people would want to do. So it looks like work, yeah. but it's something that I've chosen. Um, and one of the things that I love to do more than anything is laugh. So we try to pepper our day with laughter. Um, you and are, you're also very self-aware. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, Like, you don't mind laughing at yourself? Like, I don't know. You, you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very much like that, too, so I can relate to you when you say, okay, this isn't, I don't, maybe I wasn't right here. Right. No, I think the best thing about me is probably my sense of humor and my ability to laugh at myself. Um, and so I fully embrace that. Yes. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, I, I also am really my own worst critic. Mm -hmm. And I can't hide that. So I think people, you know, you can see when I'm disappointed in what I've done and I'm, I'm, I'm open about feeling like I could have done better um, often. And I guess I am, I am, I, I show my vulnerabilities in a way that uh, a lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what makes um, for a good story. Yeah, because nobody wants to, you know, listen to or watch someone who's perfect all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's I not that much minutes. fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and also, it just it doesn't make for an interesting life because nobody's perfect. No, no one's perfect. Uh, and I think that people learn more also through a lot of your creativity and how you're able to kind of take something that some of us think are so simple. Like I, you know, I think about the pots, the pot of greens or the turnip greens my my grandmother would make, you know, on Sundays for our pastor to come over after church. And how you use that turnip green theme throughout like an entire season because that's what was available. Yeah. And the turnip pizza and you know and, and change really shifted the palates of people in, in this community. That's tough. Um, well, you know, I can't I don't think that I've necessarily shifted the palates. You know, one of the things we try to do with our food is um, at the restaurant and uh, is to have it rooted in something really familiar. So the turnip greens, they, you know, they, they're paired with some kind of seasoning meat, but maybe the end product has more texture mm -hmm. um, or texture applied by something else and maybe more acidity or acidity in a form that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, you know, when you think about that pot of turnip greens, uh, there's so many interesting things about it, the way that your grandmother or my grandmother would have done it. You know, the fact that the meat that they used to cook the turnip greens was, you know, something that was preserved from a pig that was meant to last the a season. Hog. And so they, they stretched that piece of meat across a pot of greens, and that was the meat you had for supper. Yeah. And it was meat as a condiment. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, so, you know, there's so many stories to, to extract from that pot of greens that it's easy to build on, on that, that foundation yeah. and, and gives people something that is familiar to them, but a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, so what is it like working, really working closely with your husband? Are you working as closely with him now as you were before or sort of you guys built this together now? Are you working as closely? No. <laughs> we, you know, we work uh, closely in different ways. You know, it used to be that when I worked service every night um, and worked in the kitchen at Chef and the Farmer all day, we were kind of, um, and because he ran the front of the house, the dining room, and I ran the kitchen, we were in opposition, naturally. Yeah. Because there's always, in every there's restaurant, you know, there's be. this tension between the front and the back of the yes. house. And our, um, our end goals didn't always match up. And that was really hard for me. Um, and there are couples who do it and do it much better than we did, but, you know, it became clear to me that in order for our marriage to work, that we couldn't be um, up against each other yeah. every night. So, you know, we have a lot of the, we have a lot of common goals now um, that we're able to talk about in a more professional manner, not <laughs> screaming at each other <laughs> over the past during service. Um, so we work together in different ways, and 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 one of the things that we have now that we didn't have before that we enjoy collaborating on is parenting. Yeah, and, you guys are great parents. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> we certainly try, and we have the same goals in mind. So yeah. it's that helps. Yeah, and you get to do a little bit more of that now. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier. Um, so I did pre-order the new cookbook. Oh, thank you. Thank and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and I got the connection between the name, and we'll talk about that too. Um, but one of the things that I was really, really um, com uh, compelled by is watching, even in the show, how you're really teaching the people that work, work with you. Like, I love the fact that you really do teach the team about the food, you teach them about the wine, you offered them the opportunity to learn. Um, you probably got a lot of that, obviously, from coming from the New York City, you know, roots of really training people who worked in restaurants to kind of understand food and wine. Um, that was, that was really good. Where, is that still working? Yeah, you know, that, for me, um, I came to cooking, I was a server, at a restaurant in the West Village um, called Voyage, and the concept of their food uh, was Southern food via Africa. <laughs> and this, you know, little girl from Deep Run, North Carolina, is sitting there listening to this chef tell all these stories behind the food that I grew up eating that <laughs> I I didn't think it was story worthy, um, and I was just blown away and really intrigued by even more even more so than the way his food tasted the reasons that he made the food that he did and so that's what I am most drawn to about food and cooking and so it's only natural that I would want to kind of share that with with our team and I think that you know 
what you probably see me doing on the show is like in large part teaching our servers about yeah. the new dishes and, and what the reason that they are what they are. And I just think that's so important for them to have that arsenal of information that, you know, if they have a table who's interested beyond just, you know, what temperature their steak's going to be, that they have the, the information they need to, to share. And I think it just makes their job more enjoyable, it makes their experience richer, um, it makes us just a, a, a better staff. And yeah. I think, you know, food with a story tastes better. Yeah. And I agree. And it feels like a family. Yeah. Yeah. Very dysfunctional. Very dysfunctional. <laughs> well, that's what restaurant families are. Yes. Restaurant families are very dysfunctional. Yes. Complaining <laughs> if they're too busy and complaining if they're not busy enough. And, and they just go off the rails. Things happen. People have tempers. It's people weird. have, yeah. People fall in love. People, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Things happen. They spend way too much dysfunctional time together, too. Um, so tell me who your greatest inspiration is. Oh, um, you know, it's always shifting based on, on my particular interest at the time. I'm really inspired by, at this moment, Michelle Obama. Um, I listened to her speech the other night at the DNC and just cried. Um, her message in terms of parenting is, was what really spoke to me. Um, because I struggle to, you know, I want to be a better parent and I want to do what they do when people go low, I want to go high, but I don't always, you know, it's true. (laughs) Um, and I, I find, I find both of them incredibly inspiring. Um, so I would have to say at, at this moment in time, I, I, I glean the most inspiration um, from her in terms of career and like my pers- professional journey I'm also really inspired by um, Ina Garten mm-hmm. you know she I heard her speak about a year ago and she said you know when I decided to close my she had a, um, like a prepared yeah. store when I yeah. decided to do that I, I wanted to I, did, I realized that I needed to choose a profession that allowed me to do the things I wanted to do because your job dictates the tone of your life. And I'd never thought about that, you know, like, um, I realized like, I don't want to work every night for the rest of my life. I just don't. Um, and, and that's where I thought you would, you would be going with your life at this point. Like, do I want to do this every night of my life? And I don't, but, um, I still don't really know what it is I want. Yeah. So, um, and you know, she didn't really figure that out till she was in her fifties. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, um, but I, and what she's been able to do is, it seems like do, you know, continue to write quality cookbooks, have the show, her, have the show, but on her own terms, mm-hmm. you know, you don't see her like as a judge on everything on food network. Cause she doesn't she's have She's not to. oversaturating the market with her stuff right. and just becoming one of these big huge right she's not um i think she's just been able to maintain her her professional integrity and Mm -hmm. do what she wants to do yeah and so i'm also greatly inspired by her upset with her because she has a cookbook coming out this fall too (laughs) 
think she has a I think she has a different kind of market though. In a way. Similar but yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. But I'm But her 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 store, I mean, was very popular. I mean and she has such an incredible following, you know? But she's able to host her dinner parties at home and she's still an icon. Yeah, and she goes to Paris every now and, and then. Yeah, and roams the streets. When and she wants to, so <laughs> that sounds good to me. And Food Network pays for it. Exactly. And Jeffrey gets to go. And <laughs> um, so those two people are two of my favorite people, too. That's good. Um, what do you wish that you could do more of? Um, I wish that I could relax. Okay, that's not going to happen. No, well, you know, even I You're disruptive, a, and you know it, so... <laughs> I took a two-week vacation this summer. Did uh, you really? But I was just um, so antsy and anxious and concerned that, you know, everything I'd worked for was slipping away in a matter of two weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like All ridiculous. of a sudden you think, I'm going to lose relevance. I, I'm not going to get something done. Someone's going to do something wrong I can't be not here I can't be not here I can't I have to be there I know so I wish I knew how to just like slow down yeah slow down and um, enjoy like really be present with my children Um, I struggle with that you know checking my email every 20 minutes or you know really being able to sit down and do something. You know, last night we played Uno. Oh, really? Family. That's fun. And it was the longest Uno game of my life. It just kept going on and on and on Did and on. Did they prolong it? No, it just like fate. Fate <laughs> prolonged it. And, you know, um, I want to be able to enjoy things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's good. So what are you most grateful for? Um... Incredibly grateful that I have been able to get to know my parents as an adult. And, you know, I left home when I was 14. Wow. And, you know, always thought of my parents as just these, like, kind of little nagging uh, voices that wanted me to do things I didn't want to do, wanted me to brush my hair more, wanted me to lose weight, you know, just... um, and I also kind of just thought they existed only to parent me and my sisters. <laughs> and um, then when I moved back uh, in my late 20s, I realized that they're people, they're really smart, funny people, loving people. Um, and it's just been an incredible gift to get to know them as adults, to have children that live across the, the street from them and to see the way they've affected, my children have affected my parents' life and vice versa. I think they're, they've both um, greatly contributed to the richness in, in, in their lives and my parents' later lives. And I'm just, I'm grateful to have kind of been, that to have been a byproduct of us moving back here. And I'm also, I don't know if this, this doesn't really answer that question, but I always grew, growing up, I thought that the only way I could succeed was to, you know, grow up, leave home, forge my own path, 
and succeed without the help and support of my family. That's what I thought success was. But what I've learned um, so far is that I would not be able to do half of the things that I do if it were not for the support of my family. Yeah. Um, those are a couple of really great things to be grateful for. Yeah. 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 Having them and also allowing them to watch you soar. It's, it's, it's great. And being there for your children and watching your children. That's a beautiful gift. It is. It to is. be able to give them as well as yourself. Um, so what's next, Game Changer? Um, well, you mentioned I have this book coming out. And uh, traditionally, you know, you do a book tour. And for a chef, that often means you go to someone else's restaurant and have a dinner and sell a ticket to that dinner that can often cost like $130. Um, but I didn't want to do that. But I realized the the need for me to have a tour of sorts. So we are... We the are name going, of the book is... The name of the book is Deep Run Roots. I live in Deep Run. I grew up in Deep Run, North Carolina. I live there now across the road from the house I grew up in. And um, so we are doing a book tour on a food truck. Totally different than anything I've ever heard of. Yeah, I don't. No one's ever done this before. Um, so when we're planning it and you know trying to design, even just the wrap for the food truck, it's really you know big, bad, and bold. Yes, but it's complicated. <laughs> you know, what kind of messaging do you need for this like kind of mobile um, book tour device? Um, so it's, it's, it's a new project. Will there be sleeping quarters on it? No. I was curious no, about it. We're taking, like, there's two seats in the truck, a okay. driver's seat and there's a passenger seat. And then we'll be taking my, my little minivan behind it. <laughs> You're going to have the minivan behind it? Yes. Well, we've got to, you know, we've, there's got to be more than two seats okay. because we have, um, Casey who's going to be managing the, the food service, Holly, who will be troubleshooting and doing at least everything, three all other of people. the above. Yeah, <laughs> so it's going to be um, caravanning. Quite the experience. Okay, this is going to be fun to watch. <laughs> it should be. It should be, and I think that hopefully we'll get a lot of like local engagement in each community that we're in because you know um, I I just think it'll be exciting, and there'll be this big seventeen foot truck that's got a picture of me on the back eating a tomato sandwich with yes, mayonnaise with the running, down, running down your hands. <laughs> the man hands. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it'll be a conversation piece at least. That'll be fun. Yeah. I love tomato and mayonnaise sandwiches. Me too. White bread. Me too. I actually think Florida we're going to serve um, as one of the little hors d'oeuvres on the truck a banana and mayonnaise sandwich. Yes, yes, yes. Which was the uh, peanut Winner. butter and jelly of my youth. Yep. And then, um, and you know what I thought was interesting? Pairing that with fried chicken, I never had them together. Oh, you didn't? Never had them together. That's, uh, well, it's like, you know, the covered dish lunch uh -huh. at church, you know. Yeah. Banana sandwiches were easy to take, and so was fried chicken. chicken. You should try them together. I They're, have to try it, because I'm, I'm a sweet, like, salty girl. Me too. Like, Me too. totally sweet. And I was always being monitored for my weight, too, so. <laughs> So I totally get that. Um, so will there be different dishes at every stop, or are you going to have, like, the same type of hors d'oeuvre throughout, or the so same type have, of tasting throughout? We have a rotating menu that will change every third. So 
we have three menus basically. Wow. So we'll do one and then it'll change to the next one. And, and they're all kind of like regional. They're all things from the book, but regional Eastern North Carolina specialties like our fish stew that's finished mm. with the whole eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's chicken and rice that we're going to serve some crispy chicken skin on top and then like a um, an herb and celery salad. So it's chicken and rice, but a little yeah. uh, spiffied up. Um, and we're going to do like a big baked grits with pimento cheese and um, like a, a salsa, uh, bacon wrapped watermelon rind pickles. Um, we're trying to do peanut and Pepsi floats, so yes. peanut ice cream, yes. Pepsi. Yes. But we got to figure out the I, the ice cream ice machine. cream part. But we have one. But is it portable? It's portable, but can it freeze enough ice cream? So yeah, we have to a lot deal of with little questions and logistics that we have to work out. Uh, banana pudding will be one of the desserts. That's um, good. Wow. So I think this is going to be really exciting. We're going to have Tom Thumb. We're going to serve Tom oh, Thumb. Oh, you are going to do the Tom Thumb. Yes, I was explaining to green. Mary Elizabeth, our producer, what Tom Thumb was. I was like, just imagine a really big chitlin thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a piece of a... It's it's kind of not... doesn't smell very good. Yeah, but. and it's not beautiful. It's not beautiful. But it's, it just... It tastes great. Yeah, I, it's sausage. We serve it at the restaurant now, and people always... I guess I made it out to sound awful on the show, because people are always saying, it was so good. I'm so surprised. <laughs> so it's nice to it just looks pleasantly surprise people. It looks gross. Like, my father is a big chitlin eater, and, like, my mother would go away on... Um, on business, and that's when my dad would bring in the big bucket of chitlins. <laughs> and your mom couldn't take it. Yeah, and then all weekend long, he would like clean these chitlins, but on Sunday, he would cook them down into this small. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm not a fan. And the smell would just, but, but, um, I, I, I remember when you were going to do, to do the James Beard dinner and you pulled out the, <laughs> the Tom. And you were like, yeah, my bag smelled like chitlins, but I'm here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my clothes I, I, smell like chitlins, but I'm here. You can carry on Tom Tom <laughs> on an airplane. I know because I have. <laughs> um, so just to, you know, to kind of wrap things up, I just um, I want to ask if you had any advice for anybody that kind of dreams one day to kind of be you. Um, stay naive. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I... When I, for better or worse, when I have an idea and it's something I want to do, I tell a lot of people. (laughs) So (laughs) then I feel like I have to do it because I don't want to be this person who, um, who says they're going to do things and then doesn't do them. I'm with you. (laughs) Just do it. Have a big mouth and be naive. (laughs) Exactly. That's perfect. Um, so I want to thank you for today. Um, and I want to tell you again that I was really honored that you... Oh, thank you, Tanya. Thank you. That you're on what we're made of. Um, what's your Twitter handle? At Chef and the F. Great. So please tweet at Vivian um, as she's, you know, running around the South on her food truck. Yes, please. With her minivan following. Um Please get at her with her cookbook. It drops on October 4th. I know this for a fact because I pre-ordered on Amazon.com. Um, and I really thought that um, I 
I want to get like 10 more because I told people that I was pre-ordering and they were like, you're pre-ordering? And I'm like, I've got to get more now because I got I to gotta find you somewhere and make you sign. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, or come back down here when I know you're, you're in the restaurant or around again. Um, and I just, I, I just want to say that um, I know that, that uh, this is only the beginning. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so, as always, you can find me on iTunes, um, and you can catch up with this podcast on tanyataylor.com and you know, listen to my other podcast with other game changers like Vivian. You can subscribe to me on SoundCloud or Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. So thank you to everyone who has subscribed so far, and please leave me a review. You can find me on Twitter at GiftGoddessNC, and let me know what you think and who else we should talk to on the show. We'll catch up with you next time on What We're Made Of. Awesome. Thank you.